are just aspects of being a dungeon master that will never change. Today we discuss these truths and give you tips on how to embrace them. Yeah, fuck. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I am your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. We hope to inspire you, and you, with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Now, on to our main topic. A number of truths underline the process of running role-playing games. And they're worth taking the time to regularly review them, because... Everyone has their own different experiences in a D&D game or a, uh, embrace what, or a uh, uh, RPG in general. And embrace the darkness. Some people take different approaches to this. <laughs> so we're hoping to uh, touch on these bullet points, open up the conversation to the audience, and kind of share our experiences of how we um, have come to accept these things or how we deal or mitigate with them uh, as we talk about it. Um, so who wants the first one here? Blah. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Everyone, you and the players alike, plays an RPG to have fun. To have fun. Okay, have fun. so we were just having a discussion about an incident in one of uh, our games as uh, one, uh, Ian was one of the, the, the was the GM and it had felt that a player was getting snippy. So I ask you, did that make the game fun for you? It did not. And I want to point out, I've been seeing this both as a GM and as a player. Yes. And I've seen players be snippy to GMs and to players themselves. For that matter, I've seen DMs be snippy towards players at times, too. And that just, no matter what the situation, though, is that always sucks the fun out of the game. Yes. Yeah, we have a player. We both have a player. Do we do? He tries to keep us on track of the game when we start (laughs) sidetracking. And it always, always happens. (laughs) It's not, not him. It's an M. He does that, too. It's, it starts with an M and ends with at. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're talking about you, Matt. <laughs> Let's keep going. So as the GM, when we want to... But that does have its place. Yeah, you know we love yes, you. Yes, um, we do love you. Uh, as a GM, I tend to get on rants. Um, or I talk about specific things that are interesting during the game because I am at a game with my friends, right? And sometimes things come up, and yes, I can tend to drone on. But for me, that's part of the fun, and so I hate it when I'm ruggedly just cut off um, when I'm talking about something and somebody else at the table tells me to move on. Um, but that's also does have its place. Um, and so I would hope that if I told you that that takes away the fun from me, the player would be willing to approach it in a different way. You know what I mean? Instead of just say, hey, can we get... Can we do this? Um, say, hey, uh, yeah, that's great. Can we talk about it later? Definitely is a better uh, direction to take that. But the goal of a game is to have fun. Mm-hmm. And every player, it is every player's responsibility to ensure that everyone is having a good time. And it's not just on the, the GM, right? The players engage in the story, too. Mm-hmm. They are part of making the game exciting. But as a GM, if you don't tell them that... They're not going to know what. Yeah. What? Like, letting things lie and not adjusting the issue does not help. Yes, it just builds up. Oh, hey, speaking of the silver wolf, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so Weapon Killer <laughs> says, a uh, playing always using your idea and take credit for it, and a GM take his side, and you are put into the sh- Wait, shadow what? for him. What the hell? Um, so that's definitely uh, uh, something that could be uh, awkward and un- yeah. uh, hard to deal with, right? Like, or one example too, though, is like sometimes the DM has to step in just to, to mitigate some stuff so people do have fun. Yeah, like I remember one time we're at the uh, shop at the old shop. Mm-hmm. I had to step in one time where we were playing an adventure league game. A player basically said his hit what his hit points were currently at. Okay, and then another player jumped in like you are metagaming. You do not do that. And I looked at that player like, whoa. When I am running a game, that is perfectly okay behavior. And that's part of it's a game. <laughs> On a scale of 1 and 6, down with 30. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, honestly, that's the first point, and that's yeah. obviously the most um, thing to, That's the most important thing to remember. At any point, if you're at a table, regardless of the game, and you feel like people aren't having fun, as a GM, you, you can kind of guide that to back to a fun place if you spot it. Unfortunately, that's part of being a GM. You've kind of taken this leadership role. Uh-huh. Um, and because of that, that sort of stuff tends to fall on you. So keep an eye out for that stuff and 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 just remember that that's the goal of any game. And I also want to take a moment to address too, though, is something that most people don't seem to realize is at the end of the day, everybody has their own play style for how yes. they want the game to go. And sometimes it's okay to step back and go, maybe what the root issue is, I have a completely different play style from this individual, and they're just simply not compatible. It's maybe- okay to step back and admit that and to move on from a game you're not enjoying. Absolutely. God damn. <laughs> so this is interesting. From a from my wife's perspective, who is spelling uh, perspective with a bracket, that's weird, but okay. <laughs> she says, players being a dick, lightning bolt him, you're dead, move on. Um... That's adversarial DMing, though, at that point. I can't feel yeah. like it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, this is really interesting. So, Andrew says, if a new player is facing imminent character death, that depends on a single dice roll. Do you metagame at all to help them avoid said fate, or do you let them take a chance? That depends on the DM. Me? Ha <laughs> You're shit out of luck. Roll with it. I would say it depends on the player and the DM, and especially if that's their first experience. Ah, okay, I see where you're going. I can see that. Yeah. If they, you, you don't want new people, you don't want to turn people off to the game, right? Yeah. So I can see that. What about you, B? If they can roleplay a specific way while they're dying, I'd be like, mm, I gotta reward that. Maybe then give, give them an advantage on a death, death save or something. Yeah, see, I don't do that. Um, I always give players an option to run away, right. and that doesn't necessarily mean everyone's going to get a chance to. Um, but yeah. once again, that's that's me. So I remember reading a story online after you where, and this was in the earlier edition of D anD D, where a new player was playing a paladin, mm-hmm. and I stress new player, and <laughs> and because of the earlier edition, all the other players were at higher levels. Well, this paladin player was at level one, and they encountered a, a room with a demon in it, and the other players like. We're like, run away, powerful demon. And then he was like, well, I'm a paladin, and I'm a hero of justice, and that demon's evil, and so I feel like it's in character for me to attack this thing, even if I don't f- feel I can t- I can take it. Cause it's, Please tell me they died and everyone get, else got away. No. <laughs> get, get, well, the the player who was a whiz, wizard was, was like, well, this guy's toast anyway, so whatever, and threw a fireball into the room. Fair enough. <laughs> get, 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 and the DM's like, I don't... Is, is, and the DM's like, 
this guy's a new player. I don't feel like I should be punishing him for this, especially when he doesn't necessarily understand the game very well. Yeah. And let's be real here. The, when they're tossing a fireball onto a party member, is kind of a dick move. So he's like, I'll tell you what. If you roll safe, I'm going to see what you get. Rolls, yeah. rolls a nat 20. He goes, you know what? Roll again. Pelton roll safe again. Another nat 20. <laughs> it's like, and suddenly, as the fireball explodes... A white hand of your god suddenly appears over you, protecting you. Protecting you? you? Oh, I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> Delcinia says, I once ran a game where the players ended up escorting a literal god of chaos, and I put them through all the shit they did to me. I can appreciate the revenge. That sounds fun. Vengeance. Uh, <laughs> as long as it was all with not in, uh, in good fun and not yeah. within like uh, uh, an anger type situation. All right, so the next point. Players don't often care as much as you think. Dear God, this is so true. To a point. <laughs> they, most players do not care about your world as much as you do. It's true. And no matter what you do, no matter how much you send to them, they are most of the time not going to read everything you send. They're not going to take notes. Luckily, we got an awesome note taker. Matt does a phenomenal job, he which does. helps me because I can I take shitty notes, so I just go back through what he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> Shh, don't tell nobody. Yeah. <laughs> it's my secret. Ah, our notes for last session. A a half-empty bottle of, of a potion of healing, a sexy goblin, and a tavern with, with a dragon over it. Do grab my notes! <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the reason I touch on this is because, and I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but there's a lot of DMs who try to bottleneck and shove and push and boot players in a certain direction so that they get to experience this fantastical world that they've created that the players may not have interest in. Has that ever happened to you? I've not definitely really. seen it happen. <laughs> yeah, I've been at the, the, the table where um, we were not interested in a political style game. This was, I think we were playing three, five back to the uh, play styles. Yes. Um, and uh, political. what yeah. was interesting was I was really the only one that was kind of interested in nobody. And at the time, that's all I cared about combat. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. And most of the rest of the group felt the same way. So we kept wanting to go to bounty boards and do all these other things, but we kept, it got to the point where the DM just flopped the two competing NPCs right in front of us. So we had we had to run it, which comes into the being railroaded, <laughs> so that your story unfolds. And most of the players they don't necessarily care about things as much as you do. Yep. Well, it's kind of worth noting too, though, that on one hand the DM does prep st- spend a lot of time prepping stuff ahead of time, so it is considered at the very least polite and the players' part to yeah. at least move towards the event that was built. On the other hand, a DM does need to learn how to adjust on the fly too, yeah, or at least take what they already built and adjust it. That's what I was doing we- on a start playing i recently had five players that were interviewing me because mm-hmm. they want me as a long-term dm oh they want they want Isn't make, that exciting yeah it's cool but they want to make sure that they're getting the right guy and that's and true i got uh three campaigns that i can i can do there's dragon heist which is very roleplay heavy and political and they're like no <laughs> i don't think so like, okay good good because i don't like it either <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was the there was my homebrew and then there was a uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I said, oh, that one's a really big dungeon dive. I like, oh, I like those. Oh, me too. Yeah, that's, this goes on the whole basis of mm-hmm. trying to make sure that I'm going to give them what they want. Right, right. That's something yeah. that's just and, yeah, uh, uh, and to warn you, we, I experienced this, this yesterday. We, we started like, uh, integrating Dungeon of the Mad Mage into the campaign I'm playing on Saturday. Mm-hmm. That first floor of the dungeon's fairly empty and lots of walking doing nothing. <laughs> just to that's warn you in advance. Fun. 
I um, noticed that. I, I was throwing more shit in there. I want to give a huge thank you yeah. to uh, Stephen Pop, who has purchased our weapon perks and says that it has been an awesome addition to his table. Thank you so much for the kind well, words. He cool. actually posted some really cool looking cards that he made for custom items that he used. The is that that's not Steve Hanadol, I don't think, is it? Oh. Oh, never mind. Discord. Uh, Dalcinia says, as a DM who runs a game for people with very short attention spans, we would be good friends. <laughs> Just know that you will never command 100% of their attention 100% of the time. It's true. And especially with clicker apps involved. <laughs> you know, it's, but that that's part of it. So, uh, once again, it comes back to the play style and we have to be ready to remember that fun is the number one choice and making yep. that kind of happen is everyone's job but it does fall a little more on the dm yeah but i just want to reiterate one more time when it comes to world building and things you want to do the players don't care as much as you think yeah so make sure that whatever you're doing is something they care about because mm. even, even when they do they don't care <laughs> yeah now i'm just flashing back to a player who kept on to a, a toxic degree Kept on doing what their player would do, and it was basically not participating as a result. Yeah. Oh, we're going down to the mine, to into a mine shaft. Yep. But my wolf can't follow because it can't climb ladders. It's a wolf. It can take care of those. I'm not gonna leave my wolf by itself. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Douchey. Well, you need to. Uh, we're, we've decided that we're gonna hire somebody else. Roll up a new character that and, can fit down the that doesn't have a pet. And there was one time too where a seer saw the feature of like. It basically gave you a prophecy of doom, and only that player was present. Mm-hmm. And that player's reaction was, eh, whatever, and walked away. Huh. Anything interesting happen on your trip? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ian, do you want to pick up the next one there? Yep. As a DM, Baby Bjorn, <laughs> you are not the enemy. A GM should always be a fan for the characters. Oh, I skipped one, but that's okay. Yes, yeah, so uh, we've talked briefly on competitive GMs. This is you can play those sorts of games, but everyone needs to be involved in that decision. Yeah, like, and there are players who are fans of that. Type yeah, of games. and if you do something like that, I recommend always having dice open roll. That way, if something bad happens, it's a hundred percent on the dice. And I also think it's important to have certain expectations met for something like that. But overall, as a GM, you're not out to get your players. You're not out to. Make sure that they're dead. I hate GMs who brag about how many player characters they've they've destroyed. That's that's if okay if your team is good with that, that's great. But yeah. usually that's not what the game is about. And to me, anyway, a, a D- DM oh. first and foremost is a referee, yeah. and yes. he's the one who they are the ones who set the game up that the players will be encountering, and they're also depending on the, the play style, a storyteller. Right. They work with the players to have the game. And, and That's critical. And a, a lot of people f- forget that if you're a DM with no players, you're just writing a book. <laughs> I also like to say that... Which is uh, hard, by the way. Uh, well, Pond Killer says, or asks, and it says, my first Dungeons & Dragons game, uh, you joined a group, or they joined a group at that was already at level 3, and they wanted to play some kind of a knight. And the entire group insisted, oh, you should be a cleric because we don't have a healer. <laughs> Um, I, I, I hate when that happens. This comes back to point one. Everyone wants to have fun and not yep. everyone enjoys being a healer. So the real question is, if you thought you needed a healer, why weren't one of you it? Because the same reason he probably doesn't <laughs> want to be it, right? Yep. Actually, I constantly see an Overwatch like in like a casual quick play 
The, I've lost count how many times people will scream, We need a healer! Okay, change. <laughs> <laughs> they probably don't like that, do they? No, they don't. <laughs> It's like, because my complaint is, if you're going to complain about it, do it yourself. Do it yourself, yeah. And actually, that's exactly how I became a healer in World of Warcraft and in uh, Final Fantasy. So, I played a shaman for healer forever and while, and then I finally started playing Final Fantasy XIV, and I rolled another healer, and I had been a healer up until this year. And I've been playing since the game came out. Because I always wanted to be that person that filled that role that needed to be needed. I didn't want to struggle because we didn't have a healer, you know? Oh, and I assume this was put in by Alicia. Can't the healer be an NPC run by the DM? And you know what? I've seen that. Yes. In, in fact, yeah. I've done that. Like, for my for a campaign I ran, there's only four players, and the only healer, if you want to call it that, was the bard. I say it like that because that was not his, his main build in mind, and right, I can't right. blame him for that. So every time I knew they... Would be coming up on a extremely dangerous dungeon. Usually, was the fire cult. But a drew a a certain NPC would always appear to help them out, and I tied in his storyline with the fire cult, so it would always make sense. And this character was a multi class of of light of a healing domain cleric and druid. Uh, why don't we move on to the next question with Brandon? Players want to see their characters do awesome things. It's true. Oh my God! Yes, everyone, all of them. All your players. <laughs> Everyone at the table wants to be awesome. And uh, one thing, I can only speak from my personal experience, but one thing that I constantly try to do is when we play a game, I always try to shift the focus of every session to a different player. Have you know? Have you picked up on that at all? That every time we play, each player gets kind of an ep- a show of their own, right? And that's good. Right, and that also means that there's going to be a lot of times with a group of four people where you're not the center of attention. And that's okay. But because you know it's going to come back around, um, like we're moving on to, uh, uh, I think Garmore's character is supposed to be the next force, is the kind of the next one with the Selesnia, or I think we yep. did that already. Um, yeah, and we kind of had like the, and shoot, we dedicated an entire half hour to, just to Austin's character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was great, and I, I really enjoyed that. So, and when my it, character got attention too with the, uh, is it Guild? Yep. And next up is uh, our, our, uh, our changeling, yep. which I'm super excited for because I got some fun stuff for that. Uh, anyways, um, characters want to do awesome things, whether it's in roleplay, whether it's in mechanics. Let them do often thing, awesome things. I cannot tell you how many times that a player has hit a monster and they have like four hit points left. And I'm like, how's it end? Because I would rather it end on an epic note like that and then it just keep going around and, and waiting for somebody to hit. You know what I mean? And it moves things along, too. And it moves things along. That's a big part of it. All right. Not going to lie. One note where I felt pretty awesome was when we, were play- when we did our live play game at one convention. Oh, yeah. And was a, a troll brought down mm-hmm. his club on my barbarian who was raging, who was also a Goliath. And like, I'm using... Like, I use still endurance. Oh, and I gave all of his damage. <laughs> it very much is reminiscent of that Superman versus, uh, uh, Wolf. What's this, the big bad guy in the. Dark, dark side? Dark oh, no, side. the oh. big axe thing. It just stops and he says, not impressed. Oh. Wolf, Steppenwolf. Yes. All right. You want to hit that up? Oh, unless you got yes, I am. Uh, Enforcer, just tell him that laws exist. Yeah. What's the, well, nobody knows what you're talking about, bro. Okay, you fine. Have to read I'll the tell you. The I'll tell you, bro, brah. God damn. Okay, so uh, they're saying that uh, a GM friend of theirs is running a game, and one of their players is being a murder hobo. <clears throat> That's what they're doing. Killing they're killing innocent lives. people and destroying buildings and stuff. And they're like, he doesn't want to punish the character because he feels the player is going to feel that that's going to be personal. It's like, well, 
the easiest way to take care of that is every city in Faerun has laws. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Murder of innocent lives is Definitely pretty fucking illegal. So, yeah. Mr. Champion is a superhero game, mind you, but the, the same thing applies, right? Right. And, <laughs> okay, it's one thing, is like, it is fair to say sometimes your actions have consequences. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, when I was running Dragon Heist, there's a uh, appendix in the back. We have a whole episode covering... Go ahead. What? What's it called? Laws? Yeah. yeah. Laws of the Land. Laws of the Land. Oh, that's right. We did, we did a whole episode on it, so go back and listen to that, where we talk yeah. about how <laughs> awesome some of these laws are that aren't just killing people, but flogging them, locking them in prison. Oh, you're in prison for three months. Well, what do I do? <laughs> Roll another character to play the game. Well, they say it's... Uh, <laughs> in, three months, in three game months, he'll come back out and you can play again. They say it's a different system, modern-day superheroes. But but it doesn't matter, right? Well, the the, the, the context is the same. Yeah, pretty much. Just give the character some sort of, like, kryptonite. You cuff them with something that's going to make them go, oh, can't go anywhere. Or, have you guys rather seen The Boys? Oh my god. <laughs> the, the entire point of The Boys is to put down superheroes who get out of line. Oh, 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 you need a whole... But see, that goes back to the, the violence thing. So, for me, um, in, uh, what was it? We um, uh, Carbonite City, I think is what it was. Yeah. There is uh, um, a whole spiel about, you know, public view and and how the... the and actually in our Capes and Crooks, too. There is... Um, uh, a scale have... that your character earns or uh, fame or infamy. And as they get that, they get less jobs if they're infamous. They get more heroes chasing after them because they are technically the bad guy. You can do that same thing in your your games, whether it's Champions, uh, Capes and Crooks, which you can pick up at CritAcademy.com and support us by playing the best 5th edition superhero game you will ever see. Alicia, uh, good job for being on top of that so fast. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the next one is, uh, players love breaking the game. Right, Ian? Oh my yes. god. <laughs> and you should too! And then, let the game evolve rather than uh, having a game-breaking scenario become the norm. So, <laughs> what do you guys think that that means? That uh, maxing Using, um, strategies that are highly effective. Coming okay. up with ideas that other people just don't think of that are out of the box that come up with a new solution you probably didn't think of. And the benefit to this is when a player has a chance to flex his muscles, that gives the GM a chance to flex their muscles in response, yes. too. I don't mean that in a pushback or adversarial way. Right. It's like, oh, I can have a lot more fun now. Yep. Uh, you got anything? Yeah, mine was, hey, I bought these three oil oil pouches. Can I light them up and use them as a fireball? It's like, oh. I'll act as if they're they're a fireball. You just give give me a, a, a dex attack or a, a range a, range attack because they're they're throwing fire. Yep, and it worked. And it's like from that point forward, it's like, uh, are we with the store? Yes. Do they have uh, oil flasks? So how'd you put an end to that? Or you didn't? No, I didn't. So this is what <laughs> I this is what I uh, so I, I failed to mention this beginning. I found this as a meme on the internet. So I have no idea where some of these these writings come from. So if you've seen it somewhere, please let me know. Uh, anyway, so what I think this means by evolving rather than letting game breaking scenarios become the norm, when a player makes a a a a let's say a broken combination in your game. And you realize that it's going to break everything. There are a couple options you can do. Saying no the first time they do it is certainly the wrong thing to do. Um, Especially if it's written that way and allows for it. Um, A couple things that you can do. Let's take the super smiting paladin as a contrast, right? So they are strong. They can put out a lot of damage. And they can be hard as hell to hit. 
really hard to hit and defend yourself when you're knocked off a cliff. So there are (laughs) solutions with putting them in situations where that stuff isn't as effective. I wouldn't do that all the time because then it becomes that kind of competitive GM line. You don't want to cross that. But if you have one series where, or uh, not episode, game session where they're super powerful, maybe in the next one they become the weak one because you set it up to allow the wizard that can fly or the tiefling with wings to fly to shine. And their, you know, short smites and heavy armor become uh, uh, an issue. And Scott says he had a DM try to totally nerf the bind smite. Without telling him ahead of time. <sighs> I, I gotta touch on that. Yes, is, please do. If you're a DM, don't nerf any kind of spells. If if you think a spell is overpowered, give the monster some more HP. Just feed yep. just a little bit more. It's like, oh, you didn't get it. You almost got it that time, but not this time. Yeah. Well, and the reason for that is, is while everything Wizards does or any game team yeah. does isn't perfect, there's far more expe- uh, um, play and- in those things than you will ever do. Right. And as we have talked about for various tips over the years, it's like, yep, they, some things are not as well, well thought out, or some of the rulings completely change things here and there, too, yep. which does not help. And actually, using the Paladin example, I saw a player who was, maybe a player or a DM, who was complaining about how they thought it was broken that a Paladin can use their bonus action spells, spells and their Divine Smites. I'm like, I'm like okay, I but will admit out of juice. that does... <laughs> Right. They okay. I'll admit that does create one really big hit, but when you look at the economics of the spells, mm-hmm. it actually reduces their damage over time because the spell-based smites do way less damage than the regular smites. Right. And and, they burn through your spell and burning through your fast. spell slots just means you're boned. So to me, it's yep. the, it's the same as driving your car with the uh, the floor the floor pedal all the way down. Sure, you're gonna go fast as fuck, but you're gonna run out of gas really quick, yep. and you're not gonna get nearly as far as you would if you took a steady pace. And that's exactly how those classes are designed. And as I said, most companies, specifically Wizards of the Coast, has thousands and thousands and thousands of people playing these. Do some things get overlooked? Yes, yeah. it happens because they're people too. <laughs> yes, but in the same token. If you do decide that you know more than them and you're going to make a change, you damn well better be making sure you're letting your players know before they make their characters. Because that's uh, that's just, that's bullshit. Oh, you're playing a paladin? Well, you should know that smite does half damage, just so you know. Huh? Then why am I playing a paladin? Yeah, I'm going to change my class. Oh, you want to be a cleric? Sorry, they can't actually wear medium or heavy armor in my game. What? Yeah. Don't do that shit. Yeah, I think we both remember that, that one DM, that one shot that kept on changing stuff on the spot. Ate that shit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're, like we're running out of time here. So, um, Brandon, you want to pick up that next one there? I forgot where we're right at. Right. Yeah. Uh, being a DM is stressful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> being a DM is stressful regardless of how long you've been doing it. Yes. Yep. So a lot Jeez. of I – I can't speak for these guys, but a lot of players – Ask me. I'm really worried. I'm concerned. I'm stressed out. How do I get through this? Um, you don't. <laughs> I've been running D&D for a really, really long time, and I still get nervous even when I run games for people that I'm close friends with. I actually it, find casual games personally to be the least stressful, but that's... Uh... But there's still is there yeah. still some sort of stress that comes y- with that, yes, though? Yes, there is. Because for me, it, even with my friends, I get... Up until it starts, once it gets going, everything's fine. But leading up to that, I wonder: Have I prepared enough? Do I have? Do I remember <laughs> enough? Do I know what's going on? Um, you know, all those things kind of uh, uh, coalesce into a pit in my stomach until you know, shortly into the game, and that has never gone away. You guys should have been there when we did our uh, 
a live audience game. Oh my god! Yes. For like four or five hours before the game, he's sitting there going, <laughs> like I was literally shaking and I felt sick. <laughs> so terrifying. And I have run D and D for so many years, but in front of a large audience, I was like, oh my god, can it's we like, cancel what, it? What, what if it fails? What if it, it went dude, great? Though. There's only two people playing the game. Me yeah. and Ian just. Run like normally and it would. went so well, and the uh, audience had a blast. Yeah, well, I actually commented on our, on our game after the fact on Facebook, but then out of the blue, well, my fr- a Facebook friend of mine who I had not talked to in years went, That was you guys? Yeah, and isn't that so awesome? <laughs> like a guy I knew was in the audience, and he had no idea it was me, to be fair. We saw, I was wearing a lot of heavy makeup. So. <laughs> <laughs> and and you did look, everyone kept calling you Grog, too, which was pretty funny. That annoyed me. Uh, a lot. But, anyways, <laughs> when it comes to Ugh. being a GM, it's going to be stressful. There, and there's a lot of work that goes into it. You'll never be perfect. And you know what? That's okay. You know, it's, smoke a doobie, yeah. drink a beer, smoke whatever's going to help you. Yeah. Calm yourself, and then it'll all be yeah. gone we only, in a few we, only, we only promote doobies in legal states. We can't say that you can uh, do it if it's illegal. What? You don't smoke cigarettes? Doobies? Yeah. That's, that's, cigarette. that's pot. Well, it clearly is now. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. What do you think it meant? <laughs> I know what it meant. It's okay. It'll be legal. I was trying to fly enough. under the radar, but... Uh... Radar. Boop, boop. <laughs> Anyways, so, oh, wow, look at that. The link to our live play is in the, the chat there. I totally Holy forgot shit. that was on the internet. I just realized All right, we so, never finished that adventure, even though we said we would. Well, the, the, they never ran uh, Shotokan again. Yeah, but we, yeah. Yes. So that's not on me. Anyways, uh, so, the last one here is, you're the adult in the relationship. We touched on this I a little bit oh, earlier. That's lame. Being, when you become a GM... <laughs> When you become a GM or a, a the, the the person running any game, Our you kids. are the adult. You are the person who is the leader. <laughs> that's going to come with responsibilities that you don't want. Um, and that's just part of picking up that role. Um, <laughs> so true. When you become well, well behaved, you get advantage on shit. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Andrew's talking about don't make your DM worry. Get about snacks. They got enough to do. I I agree. Um, but anyways, that, that is, that is the unfortunate, that is the unfortunate side effect of being a, a, a game master that's never going to go away. You are expected to be the person that people go to when there's a problem Ugh. and it can suck, man, can it suck. That hurts. You, yeah. you know, the guys that I was just talking about, they interviewed me. Yeah. They've been playing since two weeks. Wow. And one of them has been playing since advanced, so they're like, they're 40, like really 45, 50, yep. <laughs> and I get to be your DM. Great. I, yeah. That's why it's important to find out if you're a fright fit. Yeah. <laughs> find out where they fit on the uh, the do's and don'ts. But anyways, <laughs> um, as part of being uh, the adult in the relationship, um, you will have to sometimes <laughs> settle arguments and end debates and end games early so it ends on a comfortable note. Um, and that's going to be challenging. Yeah, like, the biggest thing is, it, like, if it does become adversarial, or a player's being adversarial to you, here's the big thing. Do not be adversarial back. Yes. Like, the, what I usually find the best way to go about it is, I usually open the statement, okay, let's back this up a little bit, just to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah, and sometimes you gotta do a re- rewind, right? Yep. And Dalsinia's got a really good example here. She says, oh man, it really does suck. I have a couple players who really piss off another uh, the other half of the group, and I have to play referee when it gets really, really bad. Um, that is certainly um, part of the challenges, but 
in spite of all the challenges that that comes with, being a GM can single-handedly be the most fun aspect of the game. Yes. Dalcinia earlier had a really good example when she talked about how her players built a damn near indestructible druid, and then it occurred to her that I can, I can that make too. druid enemies. <laughs> so there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot that can go into that, and. Being the the GM is single. You get to play the you get the most play out of the game. Wait a second! I've had the chance to use this play as this next character. Is an NPC they have to fight now? <laughs> <laughs> and that's usually uh, oh, nearly having a player quit over it. That's definitely something that needs to yeah. uh, be discussed, especially when it comes to inappropriate comments or jokes or anything like that. So. All right, is there any other topics, things that are going to be um, truths for being a GM and how to embrace them? And like I was saying earlier, sometimes your DM style is not a good fit for a particular group. It's right. okay to say at the end of the day, hey guys, I don't think this is working. I am not having fun. <laughs> yes, please do not run games when you're not having fun. Yeah. Because then you just make it miserable for everybody. Here's <laughs> More a, so yourself, especially yourself. Yeah. Here's a GM truth. If you like making maps, Make if, you like, if you like doing maps, it doesn't matter if it's this super intricate map or if it's just drawn on the back of uh, wrapping paper with a grid. What are you trying to say about my maps? Uh, you put too much time into them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do I mean, that much anymore. I, I, but, man, I, they suck sometimes. They suck. They look really good. I like them. I'm gonna, but that's more work you're putting on yourself. That I don't have time for anymore. Not, not going to lie, though. Especially when I run in-person games and I'm using a, a map that I write dry race on. Nine times out of time, I'm coming up with that map on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the real secret. When when in doubt, make that shit up. I tell you why. My next project, King I can't. I'm making up shit right here. I can't wait to do this, but I'm gonna go out and get some like a, like phone board, and I'm gonna recreate uh, the haunt mansion Ooh. house. Oh man, if you have not run the haunt by Phil Beckwith, oh my goodness, you are missing out. I love I love the haunt. One of my favorite adventures, the horror haunted style ever. That cra- crazy little. Doll climbing up on my players. Oh, it was great. I can't wait till next Halloween because I'll be doing a haunt two and three. Nice. Doll, meet great ooze. Damn it. (laughs) Another way of breaking the game. Didn't think of... uh, Anyway, that's a whole other story. (laughs) Anyways, uh, I think that'll do it for our main topic, uh, embracing GM truths. Um, Those of you who have joined us, thank you very much. If you like this more freeform style show, please let us know. Um, it kind of deviates a little bit from the more scripted structure, um, hopefully for the better, but please let us know in the comments, uh, all that jazz. All right. So I want to touch on something really fun today. Um, I always used to tell everyone you could submit under tips and tricks. Um, so you can now submit your UTTs and we may see, uh, secret them. Uh, what? Secrete. Secrete. We may secret them to be featured on the show. I think secrete them to be featured (laughs) on the show. Uh, So, anyways, you can submit them at rebrand.ly slash submit submit a UTT um, or visit critacademy.com. There will be a button on the homepage. Uh, (laughs) She yelled at me, don't read the typos! (laughs) I swear Um, to God. I I thought I was reading it wrong. Anyways. uh, Every time you're like, UTT this, UTT that, make sure you submit your UTTs. (laughs) We're begging for an STD. Well, I, I'm trying yeah, to use more and more favorite. because uh, there's a lot there's a lot that goes into that, and it Ooh. does cut down my work when we get submissions. Anyway, uh, which I'm happy for. So, with that, why don't we move on to our under tips and tricks? Hey, Crit Nation, 
Man, it feels like just a few weeks ago we posted something about adorable creatures for our game, and man, were our wishes answered. We just found out about an awesome new 5e game full of adorable little creatures. Fates and Furhaven just funded on Kickstarter, and we are so excited about it. The world of Aloria is a place of mystery and danger where adorable creatures undertake dangerous quests to protect their families and homes. The main hub of commerce and civilization is a settlement known as Furhaven, a large community of humble furs from throughout the forest, pastures, and sunny spaces. Furhaven is an exciting campaign setting for 5th edition, full of colorful characters, magical items and spells, new races, and daring adventures. The adorable Kickstarter comes with boxed game bundle for ease of use for even the smallest youngling in the family. Back it today, rebrand.ly slash critfurhaven and pick up a freaky adventure of the Lost Library. And now, what you've all been waiting for, our Unearth Tips and Tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character concept is Trim Lester, is a malhuman uh, description. He is a physically imposing dark-skinned man. Uh, he dresses in collared shirts and wears a proper scarf over his head. He sports a long, blonde beard bleh, and similarly colored long hair. He is baby-faced. <laughs> Personality-wise, he is a good heart, but also a terrible temper. He will forgive often, but not before yelling and berating somebody for what they have done wrong. He cannot deal with unfamiliar people for more than a few minutes at a time. And if they persist, he will grow angry at them. Reminds me of Vegeta. <laughs> he was a bastard born out of an affair. And his mother always resented and mistreated him for it out of spite. Ouch! He has. Uh, he was part of a huge uh, silver rush, which ha was taken over by a mining company. The company confiscated a lot of the silver, but the... Sh uh, but the shipment was lost, so he has gone from town to town, working and never settling down anywhere, but has fallen for a local roofer. Hopefully not through the roof. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> that was nice. Uh, he hasn't told them the entire truth, but wants to settle down with them. And the motivation is that uh, they want to reunite with the with his absent mother, and he's looking for his big break. I just, I'm, I'm, This reminds me of the San Francisco... Uh, you know, the 49ers, not the football team, but, you know, in 1949 where everyone was rushing for the gold rush. Yep. That's very much except it's silver. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's going to all these places to mine. Um, <laughs> a lot of blinks and a lot of tongue flicking back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and this is definitely, I like that there's there's a really good motivation to find his absent mother. Because obviously raised in a house where it's spiteful is not exactly um, going to... Gonna breed a, a, a <laughs> good was family. His, uh, yeah, his, I, I assume his natural mother. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not the one that was mistreating him all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, can't, I can't get the bullet out your arm. I'm gonna have to saw your arm off. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's whiskey, laudanum, saw. Uh, that was all right. Right. comedian. Yeah. Oh no, this is for me. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor bastards. All right, uh, that'll do it for our character concept. Trim Lester uh, with manscaped tools, if you can. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he fits like he would be. Or, he sounds like he would fit into a man manscape commercial. Well, his name's Trim Trim Lester. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I also was a gynecologist. Trimester. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, let's move on to our monster variant. Now, I'm gonna be honest, this is single-handedly one of the shortest monster changes I've ever done. It is. Like, I, like, I don't even know what you knew it to do, made a slide about it, like, it's not much there. Look at the slide! So, yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, I was gonna add more. Drop down the private chest, I can actually see. There's nothing there. It's very short. So, let's talk about the frigid goblin. So, uh, first we're going to start with the spy stat block. Super simple. And we're going to change its sneak attack damage to cold damage as it harnesses that energy into a a cold strike. And because we're giving it access to spellcasting, we're going to get rid of the hand crossbow. We're going to give this little... I like your goblin, by the way. Anyways, uh, the Frigid Goblin, we're going to give it resistance to cold, we're going to give it innate spellcasting for charisma, and we're going to give it one of my personal favorite cantrips, Frostbite. Yes, Frostbite is an amazing cantrip. And twice a day it can cast the spell Ice Knife. I know everyone's taken aback that that's all the text there is. It's Shit, fun. I did forget something. You need to give them the Goblin feature, um, uh, what is it, the hiding, the, the... Oh, the, um, it's... It's basically the uh, hide action is a bonus action. Yeah, mm. uh, but yeah. So, uh, what do you, what do you what do you think overall? Pretty simple, straightforward. It's, I think this will be fun. Nimble escape is what you want to give it. Escape, which I, lets it take the disengage hide as a bonus action. I imagine a standard looking goblin, just that it has blue skin instead of green skin. See, I was thinking more like, like having a like an ice 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 like ice beard, like it's made of like, frizzed ice or like, pale white. Or pale white. I like There's that. I like that. And that's a, so... Pulls a knife out of his ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> um, cool. But what makes it fun is it's actually surprisingly durable. So, uh... Oh, Nimble. I'm going to write that Nimble Escape. So if you don't know, the Frostbite is a save. And if you fail, you have disadvantage on attack roll. That can be devastating in large quantities. Yep. <clears throat> like, if you have a group of, like, four of these things... And they're all using this from a distance and constantly using nimble action or nimble escape to disengage and run away and pew pew. <laughs> You're the characters will never hit nothing. <laughs> but these little guys, because they have nimble escape and they have two powerful ranged attacks, it's fantastic. Oh, if you really want to screw them, make the four goblins like, uh, oh, not, not quintuplets. But identical. Yep. So they so all the places dealing with the same guy. <laughs> oh, but he's got an illusion, or they're hopping in and out of hiding, so they just think he's really fast darting around. Oh my god, the 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 things you can do with this. And there was something I had considered, and I didn't do. Uh, but I also considered giving the sneak attack cold damage the minus ten to movement that uh, Ray of Frost has. And so now they're attacking with ice daggers, leaves no evidence, makes for perfect assassinations. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen that in a show somewhere. But anyways, uh, the, the big shine is that it's got the frostbite and the ice knife, which is a single attack that also explodes and hits nearby enemies. So uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. It sounds simple, but it will change the way your players engage in goblins forever. <laughs> uh, all right. I've heard of that. Uh, it says, don't replace the Fandel- uh, Fandelver Goblin Ambush with these things, or you're going to have a TPK. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, God uh, damn it. that'll do it for our monster variant, the Frigid Goblin. Uh, Ian, you wrote our encounter today. Would you like to tell us about it? First off, to be fair, I did yank this from a uh, 
previous episode we did, we came up with this on the spot. Okay, awesome. That sounds great. The Double Face Gallery. Ooh. In the, the city, there are rumors that workers for a local art museum, the Black Marble Gallery, keep disappearing. Most of the workers that that are disappearing would not be missed, who are hired to do simple jobs for a relatively high pay, and the nobles that do so claim that it is to help uplift the lower classes at the very bottom to help elevate society with, with the museum, seen officially as a charity, supporting the high arts, as well as Ooh. giving employment. I love it. The disappearance aren't too frequent, but enough have happened to have people ask questions. <laughs> the the PCs on? may discover this by hearing rumors, asked to investigate on behalf of a missing individual, or maybe they simply take apply for the jobs in the museum for relatively high pay downtime activities. Ooh. Especially since an art showcase is premiering, which has extra help being hired. Yeah, I see that. I know I'm next. Are you sure? Go on. <laughs> During the showcase event in the main room, there are exquisite statues, paintings, and various pieces of fine art. The nobles then adjourn for food and entertainment, telling those who are hired as guards to maintain watch among the exhibit, and the doors to the room are closed and locked. At the sound of a whistle, the artwork comes to life, revealing them to be mimics that multiple nobles breed for a hobby, <laughs> focusing on their ability to adapt to their shape, texture, trainability, and so forth. And those in the room are on the menu. Oh my god, they're mimic beanie babies. Like You're just, <laughs> tra- you're just tra- tra- trading these things amongst each other. Look they're, at my work art. They're mimic beanie babies. <laughs> I don't know. I love this concept. We really thought of something great, didn't we? <laughs> yes, we did. Um, I love the inclusion of the the downtime activities, which yeah. is really cool because that's not something Ugh. you see a lot of. No. Um, and I love the idea that people are the people that are disappearing are people that have an exquisite taste of high level like artwork. Well, the people that are disappearing are the employees. <laughs> oh, those two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I got you. I imagine it would expand a little bit more. That so they got to keep like, replacing could, employees, right? Yeah. This is really cool. What do you think, B? I think it's fucked up. <laughs> but that's why it's awesome. Yeah, this is pretty straightforward. Um, I like the idea that it's all about hearing rumors, investigating, and and this requires a lot of role play because you have to interact with these people, right? Yeah, I tried putting multiple hooks in there. Yeah, and so. you did a really good job. It was well done. So kudos. Yep. Solid, uh, solid B plus, man. I love it. Thank you. Uh, next time, bold the mimics, though. Yeah. Thanks. All right. <laughs> I, I told so you to look it over ahead of time. I did. I was, I was giving you a hard time. It was really good. Didn't need uh, much adjustments other than, you know, yep. stuff I didn't do. All right. That'll do it for our encounter, the double-faced gallery. By the way, the play on words there, absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Well done. I think that's deserving of a golf clap. Golf clap? Golf clap. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our magic item. We have the wasp's thorn. It is a dart. How many of those magical darts have you seen? Not enough. Which uh, is none. uncommon. Never. Actually. This golden hairpin crafted with bumblebee motif is topped with a brilliant emerald, a seemingly innocuous ornament. The hairpin is customized dart designed to deliver poison, nicknamed after the assassin family known as the wasps. It has been, it was a past, it was a family heirloom. The center of the dart shaft is hollow, which serves to deliver toxin to unsuspecting victims. Giggity. But wait, there's more. The hairpin's emerald will glow faintly in the presence of poison. Oh. 
That's when not dipped into from uh, Lord of the Rings at all. <laughs> when dipped into food or drink as an action, the user can depress a hidden release on the side to absorb any poisons that may be present. If the dart is empty, when pressed, it removes a poison and purifies the food or drink and charges the hairpin with the poison for later use. Nice. If the hairpin is full with an action, the creature can depress hidden release poison into food or drink to inject the poison into it. What the fuck? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> While the dart contains poison, the creature gains a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls made with this dart, and it counts as a ma- as magical for the purpose of overcoming magical resistance. On a hit or miss, the poison is released. While empty, the wasp dart loses all magical properties. Holy shit! What do you guys think? Oh, what if, what if your party member gets poisoned and you like stick it into them and you, like depoison their blood? Like, bam! It says if it's uh, put into a food or drink, it does not say you're. People are food if you're the right person. <laughs> I mean, if you're Elizabeth Pope. Okay, know. I can see that, I guess. <laughs> I know it's really fucked up to say, it, but it's true. <laughs> People are food. <laughs> Reminds me of like, the uh, Baron Zemo meme. If, if people could set their oh. average decambulism aside, Deadpool alone could solve world hunger. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Clarice. Absolutely a great uh, item for uh, assassins. I also think it's really great if it's something that's carried by like a a nervous noble who's always worried that somebody's out to poison them, and they're constantly sticking this in their food before every meal. Although it turned, this, this although it starts weird. glowing though in the presence of poison, though, so he... so you would know. Yeah. Huh, he's sticking it in and pulling it out, so I guess you're, you're right. So he carries it with him, waiting for it to glow, I guess. Yeah. So, either way... Um, a lot more discreet, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> until it lights up the room. <laughs> it's a faint dim, though, light. But yeah, this is definitely something meant to be a, a little fun. It's very consumable, which means there certain conditions need to be met to be able to yep. utilize it, so that's why I put it at Uncommon. Um, I did have somebody on YouTube mention that maybe he thought Uncommon it was too strong for that, but I figured the situational use for it what made it acceptable yep. to be uncommon. I found a way around the pin's mighty glow. You take this fluid. It is non-harmful to no human being. But it turns into cyanide once it becomes adjacent to stomach acid. Okay. You don't know it's a poison until you eat it. That's po- that's an amazing poison. Yeah. yeah. Don't apple seeds do that? I have no idea. Or rice. Rice? Rice? You know how much rice I eat? I'm in trouble. I should have died forever ago. (laughs) Rice does actually contain trace amounts of cyanide. What the fuck, man? (laughs) What are they trying to feed me at those Chinese restaurants? (laughs) Oh, Andrew says, make these fire out of traps, and if the players investigate the dart, they can learn how it works and use it. I love that. If. Um, On the other hand, if it shoots out and then they investigate it and fail by five or more, they get poisoned. <laughs> this thing looks really cool. I stabbed myself. I'm not feeling so well. I probably should have licked the knife. Uh, all right, that'll do it for <laughs> that'll do it for our magic item, game. the wasp's thorn. Yeah, yeah. Our dungeon master tip of the podcast is party backgrounds. I'm gonna be honest. This comes from Dungeon Master's Guide from Fourth Edition. The deluxe. Yeah. So, at the start of a new campaign, work with the players to fit their characters into the world and story you have in mind. Don't be afraid to set some parameters for them. This is where this gets different than what we normally talk about. For example, let them know they are starting in a town of Ridgecrest, and you want them all to have grown up there. That's okay. 
Or you could ask each player to give you a reason their character has come to Ridgecrest from someplace else. Then the players, uh, then ask the players to talk about how their characters know each other to establish some relationship among them from the beginning of the game. Or building off of the, uh, set parameters. It's like, guys, you're playing level one characters. No, you cannot say I slayed a dragon in your background. No, you're not king of a kingdom. <laughs> I slayed a dragon. You were sleeping. I don't care! <laughs> it was in your dream. Yeah. Alright. That was a good dream. Those starting relationships can take any form the players desire. Perhaps two characters are siblings or they've been friendly rivals since childhood. Once uh, One character might have saved one's life. Two characters might have served in the town militia before or worked as uh, caravan guards together. Perhaps all the characters were born in a different town that was destroyed uh, when they were young children, oh, forcing their families to flee to Ridgecrest. Or maybe they all know each other from the bar. Know each other from the bar. Want to go to the Winchester? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Which Winchester are we going to? <laughs> Dean or Sam? Wait, he's, he's referring to... Never mind. <laughs> relationships between characters also mirror... Fuck. Also mirror real-life relationships between players. If two players are related, for example, they might have to decide that their characters are related as well, or that their characters are childhood friends. And you'll talk about, uh... Shaun of the Dead. Oh. So, <laughs> uh... Encourage each player to forge connections to at least two other characters. This is something we've talked about more than once. Uh, these connections create a network of relationships that gives the characters a good reason in the game world to work together as an adventuring party, which can be difficult sometimes. Yeah. These relationships also give them plenty of material to work with in role-playing and gives you hooks for your adventures. Now, I remember in the past, and I know I mentioned this on the show, but quite some time ago, the RPG Spirit of the Century, and mm-hmm. you actually do build into your character creation process how you know at least two other people in the group. Yep. Like, you basically write your background from, when you build your character from childhood to an adult, mm-hmm. which is where your skills come from, and you also write up a journal adventure, even if it's just, like, a story name, because it's based off, like, the old pulp stories. Yep, yep. That, that, that features your character. And then you, and then as part of the character building process, the player on your right has to figure out how they were involved with that adventure. They I just, love that. Then you do the same thing with the player on your left. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of games that do that sort of thing, and that's why we I think we did a whole episode on yep. cool features from other games that you need to play, include in your game. Like one oh, example no. is like one other player he was a uh, pilot, and this is like a World War One era, mind mm-hmm. you. And my character was basically a gentleman jewel thief, who, well, <laughs> thief in general, who's a professional. <laughs> a gentleman jewel thief. Uh, yes, I think I will take that from you. <laughs> well, Parvis Code 2 was the only... St- Jarvis! <laughs> and he only stole from criminals, too. Uh. And the way, the way the other player integrated him into my story was, he was my escape. I jumped out, out, out the high story window and landed on the airplane wings mm. and flew by. That's so awesome. <laughs> what was that? Was that Feng, that feng Shui? No, no. What game did you say that was? Uh, Spirit of the Century. Oh. He uses the fate system. Ah, uh, yes. All right. Um. So, yes, lots of good tips here. Um. Brandon, do you have anything to add? Uh, I kicked something. Not really, I mean, I've been using the okay. method that you've shown us, and it's been working really well. So, well, that's because I'm awesome. Fuck <laughs> uh, yeah! <laughs> I mean, isn't a another good example that was one of their names on Critical Role? Vex and Vax. Oh, Fjord. No, oh. not Vex and Vax. Well, they're they're two good examples. They're siblings, aren't they? Yeah, mm-hmm. they're character yeah. siblings. Yes, those two. There's uh, Jester and Fjord. Aren't the their players actually married? 
I don't know. I've only listened to the first one. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I spoiler guess, alert. I guess anything then? All right, so that'll do it for our dungeon master <laughs> tip of the podcast. Party backgrounds. Our player tip of the podcast is: Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by ascending to Dragonhood. Oh, I now this. before you say anything, we'll touch on that after we're done. Yeah, okay. What the fuck was this uh, argument? First, for this to work, your characters must be 17th level and have access to several core spells. Wizard is the most obvious choice, but others have this option too. Once you've reached this level, you're going to want to cast Glyph of Warding at ninth level. Yep. God, what the. Uh. That's correct. Yeah, there's there's so many. All right, yeah, I got it. Sorry, I got your colors. Doing so, you will store the clone spell. Once you've recovered your spell slots from a long rest, you will want to cast True Polymorph on your character, turning yourself into an adult dragon of your choosing. It's worth noting that while we are already ascended to dragonhood, this can be dispelled and removed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we aren't quite there yet. <laughs> now, trigger the Glyph of Warding. That now starts growing a clone of your character, which is currently an adult dragon. Yeah. Now, the real stickler is the clone uh, The clone takes 120 days to fully mature. Now, great use of downtime in between adventures or as a campaign epilogue. Once your clone matures... You must somehow let your character die so that their soul transfers into the clone's body. Now enjoy, as you are now among one of the most powerful creatures in the game. Have fun. Could the clone just technically eat yourself? The clone has no life until your spirit enters it. It's a big doll. So it's an avatar. So um, (laughs) there was an awesome discussion that came up because of Ian and his his, uh, lawful... He's like, why don't you just cast True Polymorph? Guess what? When you cast True Polymorph... According to Jeremy Crawford, it can still be dispelled. For some reason. Despite the fact the word permanent is in a spell description. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and I think that that's... Uh, um, I mean, can you imagine this being an epilogue for your character? Like, making your character's arc... Um, I'm an ancient cursed dragon, and I'm, I've been banished into this body, and I'm trying to find a way to return myself to normal. Uh, yeah. And this is the most feasible way that they could find. What do you think, Brandon? And then the rest of the party kills you because you have a bounty. <laughs> well, only if you're a bad dragon. You're still you. Now you're just big, powerful, and shit out eggs. <sighs> yep. And having a pension for collecting coins and artifacts. <laughs> Dude, would that sort of uh, yeah. thing pass with them? Dulcinea. Way to go, Dulcinea. <laughs> <laughs> that should keep my critical role, which is why a character had to invent a spell and change one of their other characters back into the original form. Or, as we firmly established, dispel magic will also do that too. Yep. Why? Yeah. You gotta eat as a dragon. <laughs> actually, Fizz Bands deals with that. Like you don't, Dragons actually don't eat as much as you would think they would have to because they're magical creatures. Yep. Magic and sustains them. There's a reason why red dragons stay in volcanoes to absorb the heat and yep. sustenance. Yep. Geothermal bodies, man. Isn't that awesome? But sometimes you want to get that good liquid taste. It's like being on a a, a slim fast diet. <laughs> um, it does the job, but it's not like a cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How the red ketchup just spews out when you take a big bite into it. I want to eat. I want to chew. 
All right, I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid <laughs> dickitude by ascending to Dragonhood. All right. Um, so, as a reminder, uh, we just put out a survey about the show and uh, to help us collect some information. <laughs> Brandon loves those pictures. Uh, on how our audience would like us to improve the show. <laughs> so please visit rebrand.ly slash crit survey and take a couple of minutes to help us out. All participants will be entered to win a $25 DMs gift certificate. As always, we have a fantastic giveaway. Every week we give away new fat loots. Brandon, what are we giving away today? Home Field Advantage, a compendium of lair actions. This massive 240-page book grants lair actions to all of your favorite baddies. Ooh. At every tier of play. That's really cool. Uh, all in all, the book provides fun layer actions to 320 creatures from the Monster Manual. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, Mordenkainen's Tomb of Foes and Volo's Guide to Monsters and all of that for only $20. Yeah. Hags, genies, vampires, mages, vampire mages. <laughs> if a monster can be used as a boss, it's been given layer actions. Yes. So go and uh, pick up Home Field Advantage to breathe new life into your D&D game and create memorable memorable encounters for you and your players. And you know what I realized? I've never used lair actions in any of my games. I am now picturing a... I the, need to do that. The boss of a, a dungeon is actually a perfectly ordinary goblin, but they're sitting in their own room pulling levers <laughs> at ring traps. Oh my god, that's <laughs> awesome. That's the lair action. Like, you have a big giant... Dude, I love the idea of having a big giant boss monster that's like the Wizard of Oz and there's just a bunch of goblins in the back pulling levers and hit rotating pulleys and shit. And like, on the very first lair, you gotta like roll a die to see if the goblins are even paying attention. <laughs> they start start talking about picking stuff out of their toenails. <laughs> to- toe claws. <laughs> Uh, well, 17th level, <laughs> you have hope. I've never been a game that's been more than 4th level. I think our that's games funny. usually go to about 15 or so, don't they? It depends. I think it's ranged between 12 and 15, because uh, that's how most Watsy adventures are. 14. Uh, who's our winner today, before we <laughs> degrade into something else? Oh, yeah. Oh, who is our winner? I can't tell. Our winner is Uganda. <laughs> Uganda! <laughs> If you didn't win, no problem. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe for your chance to win. Every week we got fat loots to give away. Yeah. We also uh, recently have been including freebies in some of our newsletters. So definitely uh, check it out. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to support us, please visit CritAcademy.com. Join our Patreon. Uh, A lot of good stuff coming out of our Patreon. We've got uh, some good stuff coming out. We're making some changes soon. So I'm really excited for that. I'm pushing maps out every month. Go ahead. Go over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. I, I, just I spent know that. I spent three hours making the first level of the Dungeons of Mad Mage. Oh Jesus! I believe it. Holy shit! So I believe it. Follow us on social media and leave us a review, please. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian, and I am your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Keep, Keep your, your blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes. heroes.